So today we're going to talk about sacred parenting and the why of parenting. And I came across this book not too long ago, um, and I just thought the concept was very interesting. Um, it's by Gary Thomas, if any of you are interested in getting the book. And I'm just going to start today with just a few chapters at the beginning of just kind of an overview of the book. And it made me think about things in a way that I hadn't thought about them um, before. And before we get too far into it, we're going to be talking about spiritually aware parenting. Um, but we're not going to be talking about how to parent. This is not the how-to lesson, because if it was, I wouldn't be the one to teach it. Ask my three kids. <laughs> um, but we're going to look at why did we want to become a mom or a spiritual mother. So I also want to make it clear that you don't have to be a mom right now to be able to take something away from this book. And although that God placed that, that in our hearts as women to be nurturing and loving and show that to others, it doesn't mean that you, to be a mother, you have to physically give birth to a child. Maybe it's a stepchild. Maybe it's someone you adopted, a fostering. Um, maybe it's just the other kids at church and being um, a, a spiritual mother to them and providing encouragement and love and guidance. Um, so as we talk through this and we talk about being a mother, just keep in mind that that mother can look a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be just you gave birth to a child. You can be a mother to others in so many different ways and provide that love and encouragement. So anytime we say mother, don't, don't use that narrow definition. Let's think about it in a broader term. Um, so think about for a minute, I don't want you to answer this out loud, but this was interesting to me when I started reading this book, is why did you have children or why do you want children? If you really think about it, and as I was sitting there thinking about why I had mine, some days I wonder why I had them more than others. Um, but if we think about it, a lot of times our reasons are very superficial and selfish. We really think about why that we had our children. Was it to create someone who will love us? Was it to carry on the family name? Was it to save a lonely marriage? Was it to create a human who looks like mom and dad combined? Or was it just because you're watching all those shows about the idealized and romanticized view of children and family life and that you wanted that for yourself? But this book suggests that there's a deeper and a, a more, um, a better reason that we should desire to have children. And we can't take that lightly. Babies come to us as sinners in need of God's grace, and they're, they're demanding human beings. If you've ever been around a newborn, you know that they're demanding human beings, and they don't really get any better as they get older either. <laughs> and they require around the clock care. And too many of the how-to books, this, this just cracked me up and I have to share it, too many of the how-to books assume that when they're giving you strategies on how to parent, they're assuming that you're calm and rested when you're giving that, you're working out that strategy and you're dealing with that child, you're calm and rested, not dealing with PMS and about to explode. <laughs> And we, a lot of times we feel guilty because of the way that we handle a situation or the way that we handle the child. 
And too many times we take too much credit for their good and too much blame for their bad. When God has created that human being and we're charged with taking care of that human being and we do our best, but we can't be responsible for every choice because that human being also has free will. So this book suggests that we have kids because of God, for him, because of him, and for him. Genesis 1.28 states, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So he commanded us to, to populate the earth. But that fruitfulness, think about that fruitfulness. Just because it's populating the earth doesn't mean that it's fruitful population. If we want to populate in a a fruitful manner, we have to raise spiritually sensitive children who will work for the glory for his kingdom and on earth. There's more of a purpose than just to create another human being. We're creating another human being who is spiritually sensitive. I love Deuteronomy um, chapter 6, and I'm going to read just a few verses from there. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord God, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, And with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And that verse always speaks to me that we can't Just wait for church time to teach our kids about God and God's commandments. We have to be doing it and living it throughout every part of our day. And it has to be a part of everything that we do. Having children is not about us. It's about God. The book, I'm going to read a quote from the book. It says, the ultimate issue then isn't about how proud my children make me but how faithful I've been to discharge the duties God has given me. When our parenting becomes an act of worship instead of self-fulfillment, we'll approach parenting with a new motivation, a new perspective, and new goals. And, And I really liked how it said that. I'd never thought about parenting as an act of worship, an act of reverencing God and showing him how much we love him and and fulfilling the responsibilities that he places on us. And I think if we approach parenting more like that, guilt won't be so much a part of it because we'll realize how much 
that we need God. Another part of the book says that we should look at guilt as a car wash and not a parking lot. So think about a car wash. Do you just sit in the middle of a car wash and just let it just keep beating you up? Or do you drive through it and come out the other end cleaner and with a different perspective? You come out on the other end with a different perspective, a motivation to do better. So that guilt can be a good thing because maybe it'll motivate us to do better next time, to change the way we're doing things. It's a learning process. It's not something that we should just park and wallow in the discouragement and then pull away from our kids because we feel like we're such a failure. We're not God, and we can't love them as wholly and completely as God does, and we need to depend upon God's grace and provision to walk through the parenting journey. A term that I really like is, is fail forward. At school, we tell the kids, you learn from your mistakes. Mistakes are good because that's, what you, that's how you learn. Think about a child learning something. If they're really learning, is that learning comfortable or does it make them a little bit uncomfortable? If they're truly learning, there's going to be a, a little bit of discomfort there. And it's the same thing for us as we're learning valuable lessons it's gonna feel a little uncomfortable. Sometimes we're gonna mess up. Sometimes we're gonna make mistakes. But if we fail, it doesn't mean we just sit down and we just give up and we just quit. We fail forward. It gives us the motivation to learn from that mistake, to try again, to keep moving, to depend on God to help us through our limitations, to, to depend upon Him to be that place of rest, trusting in Him knowing that we don't have to micromanage everything about our kids because God has it in his hand. Without guilt, though, there's no mercy. How, how are our kids going to learn? If they don't feel bad sometimes about a mistake that they made, how are they going to understand God's mercy? If we don't feel bad sometimes about a mistake that we made, how are we going to understand God's mercy and God's grace? Without those negative emotions, we can't have the positive emotions. And I think sometimes we try to protect our kids from too much and let, instead of letting them experience those things so that they can learn from them. In parenting, there are going to be good moments, and there are also going to be moments that challenge us to our core. And even though we may not choose to experience the challenging moments, how many times after we've gone through those challenging moments do we sit back and think about how much we learned from that? Would we go back and say, ooh, ooh, yeah, I want to go through that again? Probably not, but once we come through it, we're also thankful for what we learned through that difficult time, that difficult journey. And that's part of that spiritual growth, and that's part of the why of parenting is to provide those opportunities to allow our kids to grow in those ways too. But before we can really set the tone for our kids to provide that spiritual growth, we have to focus on purifying ourselves first. We can't help them if we're not where we need to be. It's kind of like if you're in an airplane and they give you that, that talk at first, what do they tell you if the, the oxygen mask comes down? What are you supposed to do? Do you put it on your kid first or do you put it on you first? You put it on yourself first because if you don't put it on yourself first, then you may, because lack of oxygen, you're not going to be able to provide that care that you need for your child. It's the same thing with that spiritual oxygen. If we're not getting the spiritual oxygen that we need, we're not going to be able to provide that 
for our kids. We're not going to be able to provide that guidance for our kids. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And then if we look at 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. That part there that says, if you don't have these qualities, you're being ineffective and unfruitful. That hit home for me thinking, you know, sometimes we focus more on, you know, our kids' outer actions. What are, we're basing so much on what they're doing at the time rather than really looking at the heart and really looking, am I setting the example that I need to be setting for them? Am I leading them in a way that, yes, I want them to be good kids. Yes, I don't want them to get in trouble at school. Yes, all of those things, but am I really doing what's going to have an internal impact in a way that they're going to love God, they're going to be spiritually sensitive, that they're going to have the knowledge they need to follow God? We have to let him purify us first, even as he shapes our children. And that process, as we read in these verses, that process of spiritual growth is twofold. Not only do we need to let him get rid of everything inside of us that pollutes or contaminates, but it's also an ongoing process to perfect perfect us, to make us closer to his image. It's not something that we just say, okay, I'm there. I've, I've gotten rid of everything. I'm good to go. It's something that we have to come back to every single day and depend upon God every single day for that strength and that guidance so that we can also provide that for our children. Another interesting thing that I read is there are two types of parenting. And I fall in the the not-so-good one too many times. But think about it for yourself. There's child-centered parenting. Now, at first, when we think about that, we're like, oh, that's a great idea. Child-centered parenting. That's what we should do. We talk about at school that we want our classrooms to be child-centered. That's a good thing. But listen to this. Child-centered parenting bases the parent's actions on the kid's response. Well, how many of you have ever had a kid where you just, you went out of your way to do something special to them and they were like, whatever. (laughs) They didn't really appreciate it. They didn't really care. And you find yourself, well, I gave up three hours of sleep to do that for that child. And I gave up doing this and I gave up doing that so that I could provide that for my child. And we become resentful when they don't respond the way that we think they should. Do we really want to be child-centered parents? Or instead, do we want to be God-centered parents? 
that every action and reaction that we have is we're acting out of reverence for God. Yes, we're engaging in the lives of our children, and we're giving them biblical correction and loving support. So in that moment, we're, we're looking at God's calling being greater than the child's response. Because let's face it, they either think, especially when they're young, we're either the best person in the whole world or we just ruined their whole life because they didn't get what they wanted. I heard both from Aaliyah yesterday. We took her for her birthday. and one moment, I was the best mommy ever. And the next minute, it was the worst day of her whole entire life. <laughs> All in 30 minutes. Time span. We can't base what we do for our children. We can't base our actions. We can't base our decisions on their reaction. Because again, remember when we said... We're, we're given these little human beings that are sinners and completely dependent upon us to teach them and to take care of them. And if we're responding in a way that's a, based on their reaction, we're not always making the right decisions. I don't know how many times I'll have a parent call me and say, well, my child was upset about that. Okay, well, can you give me more information? Well, that just upset my child and I don't like it because my child was upset. Well, I'm sorry that your child's upset, but we, we've got to look at this differently. Just because your child was upset doesn't mean that something wrong happened. There are lots of reasons for them to be upset. And we have to keep that in our own minds. It's hard to watch our kids hurt. And when that parent calls me, I have that, that empathy because I know it's hard to watch your child be upset. But sometimes that's necessary for them to grow. So whether they're throwing a tantrum or crawling up in our laps to cuddle, God's calling remains the same. Whether they're throwing the fit and you're the worst person ever to walk the earth or you're the best mommy ever, the thing that doesn't change, their response is going to change. Their reaction is going to change. But what's not going to change is God's calling for you to be that child's parent, for you to guide them. We have to learn to value character over comfort. And that's so hard for parents. I think it's harder for us to watch our children hurt than it is for them to actually hurt. How, much, how many of us have said, I wish I could just go through that for my child. I wish I could take that pain away from my child. And if we really think about it, taking that pain away from our child is selfish. It's so we don't hurt watching them hurt. We don't think about the growth that's going to happen through that pain, through that process, that they're going to learn to depend upon God through that process, and they're going to learn through that process. There's a letter in the book from Abigail Adams that she wrote to her son, John Quincy Adams, and it said, It is not in the still calm of life that great characters are formed. The habits of a vigorous mind are formed in contending with difficulties. Great necessities call out great virtues. When a mind is raised and animated by scenes that engage the heart, then those qualities which would otherwise lay dormant wake into life and form the character of a hero and the statesman. She knew, even when her child was young, that he was going to have to face difficult things if he was going to be a great man. What do we decide to choose for our children? Do we decide to put their comfort 
above all else? Or do we decide that their character is more important? I'm going to read just a little bit from the book um, for just a moment. I hope you don't mind. But this part of the book really, really spoke to me. The author is talking about a friend of his named Jim who makes his living working with kids. Jim is a former school teacher and he now heads up a large college ministry in the Pacific Northwest. As such, Jim has a front row seat for observing the fruit of modern parenting styles. In Jim's words, this is the first generation of kids where their parents were hyper-vigilant advocates at every point. If the kids got bad grades, it was the teacher's fault. If they didn't get enough playing time, the coach heard about it. Everybody assumes their kid is special, at least above average, even though it seems to me that most kids must be about average. Jim doesn't exclude himself from these comments, by the way. He freely confesses that he has struggled with this and has on occasion even fallen into the same mistakes he sees other parents making. Jim continued, in this generation, we parents have gone out of our way to protect our children from pain and to see that they succeed. The problem with this approach is that the kids don't learn wisdom and they don't learn decision-making skills. I believe we learn more from failure than success. But when parents keep kids from failure, our children inevitably end up lacking wisdom. Jim added, today's kids have a high standard of living eat in good restaurants, wear nice clothes, and drive nice cars, whether they work or not. The kids start thinking this style of living is the norm, and they don't realize they will have to work for it. In this sense, they live in a fantasy world because they never have to deal with life's realities. Though they are highly trained intellectually, many lack the practical skills to know what to do with that training. Dr. Melody Rode, a marriage and family therapist, has found from her experience that children raised under a coddled philosophy that avoids adversity and pain at all costs are likely to be addicted, obese, dependent, suicidal, incapable, and frequently overwhelmed by life. She points out that the phrase growing pains goes beyond aching knees to describe aching hearts and disappointed souls essential experiences on the path toward maturity. If we protect our children from all risk, challenge, and possible rejection, they will likely become developmentally stunted and will remain immature. That just kind of punched me in the gut because so many times we try to protect our children. We don't want to see them hurt but are we really doing what's best for them? We think we are, our intentions are good, our heart's in the right place. We want what's best for our child, but are we really doing what's best for them? Let's look at a biblical example. The Bible gives us a strong warning in 1 Samuel. High priest Eli had two sons who slept with women workers and who gorged themselves on God's offerings. Their father's position allowed them to live in relative luxury and though Eli despised what they did, he didn't stop them. You might say he chose his son's happiness over their holiness, and in doing so, elicited God's wrath. Why do you honor your sons more than me? God scolded Eli. Eli's sons became God's enemies to the point that the Bible tells us it was the Lord's will to put them to death. That's kind of terrifying, isn't it? By protecting our kids to the point 
that we prevent them from learning, we're actually doing them more harm than good. Does that just kind of just slap anybody else in the face but me? I mean, it does me because I don't want to see my kids hurt. And sometimes I try to protect them from that, whereas instead of protecting them from it, I need to guide them through it. I need to help them through it so that they learn those qualities. And I think, and some people may not agree with me on this, and I think this is where we get it wrong with the whole thing of bullying. We think, oh, we have to protect our child from the bullies, and we have to make the bullies stop. And yes, we have to do those things. And if your child is being bullied, yes, we, we definitely have to do those things. But what happens, you know, when you have true bullying, there's an imbalance of power. So if we teach our kids where their power comes from and how to appropriately use their power, their risk of being bullied drops significantly because we teach them how to deal with that conflict. How many of you have dealt with conflict this week? How many of you have dealt with a mean person this week? We all have. It's part of life. It's part of how we're going to have to learn to interact with people. And if we protect our kids from every time somebody's mean to them or says something that hurts their feelings, then we're not really preparing them for life. They have to know how to approach it. They have to know how to react to it. And by doing that, we're giving them the power that they need to prevent from being in a situation where there's an imbalance of power. If we protect our kids from failure, we may inadvertently protect them from believing that they need God, and they will never sense their need for a Savior. And even though it hurts us when our kids hurt, it devastates our kids' eternal perspective far more when we hide their need for a Savior. So if I try to craft a world without pain and consequences, then I blind my kids to the reality that there will be eternal consequences for their decisions that involve great pain if they persist, persist in their rebellion against their creator. Now, does this mean I create situations where my kids can learn their lesson? Absolutely not. We don't intentionally deprive our kids of anything. God doesn't intentionally deprive of us of anything. This world's going to provide enough opportunities for them to learn those lessons. I don't need to create those opportunities for them. I need to love them, and rather than trying to protect them from those situations, I have to be spiritually strong enough to be able to watch my child struggle. I have to have enough biblical wisdom to know how to tell my child how to, to live through that situation, how to make it through that situation in a way that glorifies God and follows biblical principles. Not if that bully messes with you, punch them in the nose. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. But we, our power is not in our fist. Our power is in God and the word of God and the words and the wisdom that he will give us in handling those situations. This book also points out, and again, I'm not up here saying I have any of this. This, all of this like slapped me in the face just completely. This part says, in the name of sparing our children these difficulties, in reality, we're sparing ourselves the hurt of seeing them hurt. And we're being cowards as parents is basically what the author is saying. 
coddled kids rarely have the mettle to succeed. When critics tear them apart, instead of setting their faces like flint, these pampered puppies will scamper off to the nearest corner, whimpering in self-pity. We need to have the foresight that Abigail Adams had. We need to have the courage that she had. We need to have the spiritual strength that she had to be able to realize that that pain, that discomfort that our kids are going through, that we go through, is part of the learning process. It's part of the purifying process. How does silver become pure? It has to go through extreme heat and fire. So how do we expect our kids to become godly individuals, to become pure individuals if they never have to face any of that fire? And so many times we think, well, my kids have it better than I did. My kids have this. My kids have that. I didn't have that. Is that better? Really better? Are they still learning what they need to learn? Are they getting what they need to get? So in closing, my challenge to you, and it's my challenge after reading this and preparing this lesson, is to think on a daily basis, what am I giving my kids? Am I choosing their comfort over their character? Does that mean I always always will do that? Probably not. Does it mean I should always do that? I probably shouldn't. There are times developmentally that I need to step in and help my child with certain things because they're not ready to deal with those certain things. But as they become developmentally ready to handle those things, I have to have, have the spiritual awareness. I have to have the discernment to sit back and the strength to sit back and help them walk through that. I'm going to close with Psalm 78, 1 through 8. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should be not like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And our ultimate example as a father is God. Did God take away Christ's suffering on the cross? Or did he have to watch it? Did it make him happy to watch it? No, but he knew that that's what needed to happen to redeem mankind. So if that's our model... If God had to watch his son suffer to the extent on the cross, then that's a model for us that hopefully none of our, our children will face that level of suffering. But when they're having conflicts and they need to make decisions and there are lessons that they need to learn, may we choose their character over their comfort.